Good evening and welcome back to Editing Aloud. And I have with me a panel of some of South Africa's best informed journalists and some of its liveliest on a day on which Eskom has resorted yet again to load shedding. Sikonati, I think this is your favorite subject. What accounts for the Eskom load shedding? What kind of signal does it give as we're trying to resolve the sort of really big Eskom problems? So Eskom itself admits that they are taken by surprise by this. They have absolutely no idea what accounted for this. What we do know is they have lost about uh, close to 2,000 megawatts of electricity. That's four generating units. Uh, the Quebec power station is is out. I, I think it's out for on refueling. Uh, yeah, yeah for refueling. Mm -hmm. So that that was uh, already scheduled to be out. But there's uh, they found some some foreign uh, object in one of the of the, of the of the units. Uh, so. 600 megawatts out there's three others uh, they, they, they can't tell us and and there's a the conveyor belt that's broken down now i don't know how a conveyor belt just breaks immediately when you're not putting all 50,000 tons on it it's it's it's, it's a series you, you just put some coal and it keeps running it just uh, somehow snapped and that's it escom has got no power so four units out of action and they were not planning for this. They are as surprised as all of us are. Except, of course, typical of ESCOM. I am, I am reliably informed that they knew yesterday already, yesterday morning, that there, were, there, there could be some problem. And, and they didn't even start warning uh, businesses to plan for no power today. Well, they don't seem to have much of a communications function left. But Rob Rose, how much does this reflect? I guess on you should know. The, I would know. <laughs> <laughs> how much does this reflect on the state of operations at Eskom? Because I, I have a feeling that there's been such a lot of focus on the finances and the enormous debt. But has there been enough attention on the rather parlous state of the operations and indeed of the people? No, well, I mean, that's the thing is that it's been failing in terms of maintenance for ages and we're dealing with these creaking power stations and things are happening that they can't control. Mm. So it's not just one issue, it's, it's a number of issues. I mean, they I can't imagine by now that they have that many people left to really know, yeah, exactly. you know how to keep the system So, so I going. think that the, yeah. first, the first sign of um, failure happened on Saturday even and, and they were aware of that. I think it just to some extent did take them by surprise um, and then to blame a foreign object just caters to South Africa's um, you know, a desire to blame foreigners for everything. I'm surprised Herman Mashaba wasn't there at the time drawing up the announcement. <laughs> or oh, something <laughs> called sabotage. Sabotage. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think, I think the, the sad thing is that Eskom has in the recent past experienced industrial sabotage rather than uh, by, by... Which would have been triggered by, by something. At this point, it's triggered the by their own incompetence. Mm. Yeah, and that, that, is, that is surely a worry because we are not going into summer as when I was at Eskom, I spent three years trying to explain that summer was harder than winter because maintenance has to be done. What are the chances, take a guess, Karen, that, that we're looking at another summer of load shedding? Well, I think the most disturbing thing is that you never have a sense that anyone has a plan. It's just continuously, as is the state of existence nowadays, lurching from one crisis to another. And a lot of this, I think you wonder, yes, if you're aware that there's maintenance issues within these operations, what is being done to actually pre-plan to deal with those things? Um, it seems that, you know, Sekonati saying ESCOM is surprised. I mean, you can't, you're the state-owned 
electricity outlet. You literally are yeah, the foundation, exactly, on which business, like life, everything is based. And you are surprised. I mean, I think that in itself just speaks to the state of management and lack of planning that actually defines how that organization has run and is running itself um, into the ground as we speak. Do you say so? As it happens, this is on a day on which Cabinet, as far as we know, is discussing the integrated resource plan, looking at the electricity mix out for the next 20 years, and may also be discussing the plan, the big restructuring plan uh, for Eskom, which has been promised. I mean, what sort of signal does this send investors, um, one way or another? Yeah, um Hilary, I mean, we've seen with the rand this morning, I mean, I think it tumbled around 1%. I mean, it shows that people are not taking, you know, they're not, you know, the sentiment is as certainly soured. So I guess the question from investors would be, I mean, is this going to be a recurring nightmare or is this a once-off thing? So they, that's, that's what a lot of people are looking at. That's what we should also be, uh, you, know, you know, looking at. Is, it, is this going to be prolonged or not? I mean, what's important as well about this is this is a time when we're expecting a Moody's announcement in the next couple of weeks. And I think mm. that's, it's, it's a terrible time for this to be happening to us. I think some of the figures I read were, was that it costs about a billion rand a day in lost productivity for this to be happening. And at a time when we can't afford it and when the ratings agencies are looking at us, it's, it's a terrible sign for investors to have this happen now. Entirely, as Sekinati and Karen said, through the fault of pre, lack of pre-planning. Because we saw what happened in the first quarter of this year when there was load shedding. So the prospects for growth, if this were to continue, would presumably worsen they already are, Karen. Well, the IRP, I mean, this IRP issue has been dragging on for years and years and years because, you know, something would be produced, a draft, controversial, everyone would object, it would get withdrawn. There hasn't been a certainty. And I mean, that, of course, is attached to the issues around nuclear and suspicions about why certain people within government were pushing for a nuclear deal, whether the country could afford it or not. There's been a huge lack of, lack, lack of coherence over what actually is our energy mix. Should we be pushing resources into coal um, versus renewables. Exactly. Really? And of course that, you know, you just have to look on Twitter to see the kind of um, very diversionary uh, political tactics that are created around this and the fallacies and incorrect information that's put out about it, and so especially in terms of costs, etc. But also the ESCOM restructuring plan. I mean, when was that thing due? Where it's, is it? Yes. Where is it? I mean, you know, like... Don't, don't be impatient, my friend. You know, that restructuring plan... <laughs> coming give it another five years there's there, there's something <laughs> called there'll be nothing left years. Years. There's three, three new ceos uh, you, you, but guys seriously if you think things are slow which they really are there's something called the Umas the Yamasukru agreement which is a city in cameroon there's been a discussion by african governments for the last 26 years to discuss open air skies that you can fly anywhere in africa for 26 years there's still no deal so Brace yourself. 26 years, Sikonati. <coughs> yes, the, the, the Amasuko Agreement. Uh, it's a hometown, uh, that town is hometown of, of one of the Cameroonian presidents or recent Cameroonian presidents. They have been trying to debate, uh, to, to agree on killing national airlines or the monopoly uh, state-owned airlines have across the continent. And for 26 years, they've been discussing how to do that. Where uh, a Com Air, for example, with, so, without government ownership so can fly anywhere. So what are the bets here? 
less than 26 years? 26 years? No. Rob Rose? 26 no, no, years? No, no, no. Well, less than 26 years. I remember. Remember this. Like, ESCOM represents the greatest debt that our country has. Like, if you look on South Africa's debt on the little pie chart, here's ESCOM. 440 Exactly. Yeah. It's huge. So this is not something we can just be like, well, oh, be okay look at this elephant in the room. Yes. We can let it rot for a few more. Uh, no, it's stinking up the whole place. There's like a dead elephant. They don't want to... Oh no, there's, you know, it's got to take six, 26 years. TZ, no. so 26 years, 26 hours, 26 days? <laughs> I mean, you would think that we would move a, move a little bit quicker, I mean, because the situation is critical. Um, as we, I mean, as the guys, the panel have already mentioned, we, we've got Moody's coming up. And we've got Tito, I'm, I'm sure he's also redrawing his budget. I mean, these fiscal numbers might be thrawn out. So uh, 26 years, Do maybe not. There, <laughs> speaking there's, of there's, the there's very long term. force that there's cannot be force. controlled that, that's coming. And mm. we are crying now before the rains. We have not had any mm. rain. Yes. Yeah. When, when, when these rains start in the coal producing areas, when that coal gets wet, then we'll get a whole lot more load shedding. And we are going to get a lot of more rain than we have definitely over the next uh, three to four months. So brace yourself for, for, for more load shedding. And of course, ESCOM did tell us already in September or, or July that there will be load shedding. They, they can't be surprised now. Rob Rose, speaking of the long term, your cover story in the Financial Mail this week is on the national health insurance. Um, is this something we ought to be worrying about in the medium term, in the short term? Yeah, well, Not we spoke to a lot of people about it. And, and I think the general consensus is that, and Treasury officials have pretty much told us as much, that this is not going to happen anytime soon. There's a disclaimer in the NHI saying that this will, the taxes will only be raised to finance this thing um, once the economy is on an even keel. And some think that's you know, after 2030. Certainly, we have Eskom debt. I mean, this is the issue we're sitting with. So you cannot rule out the NHI as they planned it, as they envisaged it. 450 billion, I think, is the number Fitch put on it. Um, and raise that through payroll taxes, extra payroll and personal income taxes now, at this stage when we have certainly not got Eskom under control. And I think today brings that brings that fact you know, home to us far more clearer than before. But what is the fallout of having the NHI looming over us, as it well, were? Well, what was interesting is that, I mean, there, there are a number of things that, that can go wrong. But I think one of the biggest problems isolated by an RMB report last week and a study in the last couple of days, which we report about, is the fact that a lot of doctors are preemptively leaving, worried about the signals this sends. I think it was the Radiologist Society who did an analysis of their members, um, which I think is about 80% or 90% of the of the industry, and they said that 80% of them were either planning to immigrate or considering immigrating now as a result. Um, and that those are very worrying statistics. And RMB's figures were that I think it could lead to a massive fall in, in uh, personal income tax when people do immigrate, which ironically would also make it harder to raise the money to finance NHI, but also leave a huge, a greater skills gap in our, in our uh, medical healthcare fraternity. Do you say so? The president has been in London this week yeah. uh, talking to the Financial Times conference and to investors. So he goes with a fragile ESCOM, an NHI which looms and may be driving both people and investors away, the prospect of prescribed assets, which apparently is really spooking investors. What does the president tell people that could be convincing? Um, he's got a very difficult pitch. I mean, it's sort of it's not easy um, to to pitch this country as an investment destination, given um, what we've just um, uh, uh, we just uh, talked about. Um, yeah. 
However, I mean, some people may still have his, his back, given his background as a, uh, as a businessman, and then they would think that, okay, because you, you know, you've got, you know, you've got that background, you, you probably know what you're doing, how to, uh, to run a sophisticated African economy. And well, he does? He's he does actually know. proven that he doesn't. <coughs> and and yeah. I've got news for you, my friend. Nobody will be investing in him. Yeah in Cyril Ramaphosa, he could be gone tomorrow, yeah. particularly if Esma Khashule has his way. Yeah. So, so he goes in there, yeah. he should just tell them the truth. I'm clueless, I've got no idea what I'm doing, but let's go invest. But how do you really feel about the second answer? Rob, you have, well, you have <laughs> Rob and Karen, you have half a minute each to tell us something that's on the bright side about South Africa's investment process. You go first, process. I think. You go first. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, okay, so I've got something. Good. It's that these things are talked about and they're often raised out there as people go out from the ANC and fly kites, but often they don't happen. And I think the yeah. way the NHI is envisaged is not going to happen like people are, like the boogeyman image that people have. It's the new nuclear deal. That's what it is. It's the thing that's Yeah, we, we, love, we love little boogeyman standing over us. Everything's going to collapse. And then, and then when it doesn't happen, we feel we're so like, relieved. Yay, it's it's like, <laughs> Karen, Jacob Zuma is going to get his day in court, it seems, or... Not. Well, I think he will, but I think it will take a little bit of time before that happens because obviously now he and Thales, the French arms company, which is accused of offering him that, to whom gave him that 500,000 rand a year um, bribe in order to protect it from the, any investigation into the arms deal, they both lodged leave to appeal applications um, in the High Court. Um, highly unlikely according to a number of legal experts and the prosecution itself that he has any prospect of actually even having those appeals heard. Um, Billy Down is saying that the state wants to start running this case um, you know, as early as the 13th of, of April, but of course the former president dealing with the fact that he has absolutely no money to, to fund a kind of competent defense of quite a complex corruption case. Um, and is currently, as we speak, trying to raise the money to uh, settle a loan that he got to finance the 7.3 uh, non-security million sec rand security non-security upgrades at Enkandla. Yes, right. so it's it's not it's not a good day. Well, Plus, he owes 16.7 million rand in legal fees already spent on this case. His which in a court decision that blocks him from receiving state funding also owes 10 million for the state capture. Uh, litigation um, and has had now a multitude of, of, of costs orders against him, including actually in the application, punitive costs orders in the application for a permanent stay. So we're looking at in, what? In he says 30, 40 what? million, right? No, no, no. We're not using shot, that word. If only, if only he could call up Salas and ask for some more money now. Hey? <laughs> so 30, 40 million, right? Who, who would? Would it be in anyone's interest to, okay, to, to he, bail him out? Yes, yes, Hillary, it definitely would be. Someone like Isma Khashule, for example, uh, the, I, I don't know if Isma Khashule does not have money, uh, so, but it would be in their interest to, to, to bail him out and then uh, consolidate support and say, we, we're fighting for black people, uh, but they won't say we're still from black people, we, that's, which is why we have the money to pay for it. But uh, there's a lot of money that we have lost in this country uh, that was directly shipped out of this South Africa into Hong Kong, into Dubai. I don't understand how Jacob Zuma does not have money when he was seriously involved in those, uh, in those transactions that landed us where we are today. But I'm certainly not accusing him of, of being guilty of stealing the money, but he certainly knows where the money went. But if the people who now have that money 
are they willing to now? I mean, he was a useful fool for them at the time, right? Look at Judy Miani. Look at Judy Miani, where she goes to court and says, "I don't have." Um, you know, funds to actually to, to mount a catch kind of event. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I've yes. heard stories about people having to e-wallet her because she's been stuck in the ro- on the road between KZN Durban and Richards Bay or something. This is this is you know this is where the wheels have fallen off very very badly for a lot of these people. And I think the thing is is that why you may be while you may be someone who is able to maneuver things or or someone who you can influence how things are done. I'm not sure that that directly translates into money directly into your pockets. But that being said, Jacob Zuma is manifestly someone who, on the evidence in the Sheikh case, decade like a decade mm. ago, was incapable of managing his own finances. Literally, as soon as Sheikh was giving him cash because he is over his overdraft facilities would swallow up any money that was put into his account. I mean, he was paying everything from his children's school fees mm. to car washes, ten rand car washes. Speaking of overdrafts, now what about Iqbal Survey's overdraft or the vast no, amount of money he owes? The you want to make you saw, yes. We want to talk. Zuma cannot Jacob's hope Zuma. that the Gupta's and anyone will give him any cash, for there's never honor amongst thieves. He should have known that. But Sekinati, look at the VBS scenario. The stories coming out from Daily Mirror indicate that Lawrence Malaudzi was asked by Floyd Chavambu to put money into this account. And he said, 500,000 rand for your wedding, no problem. Transferred 500,000 Because Floyd still has something to deliver. I'm not going to get back on the details. Zuma has got absolutely nothing now. No No patronage to dispense. Absolutely nothing. The money is gone. You, you, you take your cut up front and secure it. Uh, so you don't have this problem of, of being stuck on the highway when you must go to a trial in Pretoria. You do that up front. That's how you must deal, guys. Okay, lessons. Lessons in stealing. Thank you. Um, I'm moving along to the Public Investment Corporation, which has been in Parliament. Um, with the prospect that uh, Sekunjalo's funding from the PRC will not be with Mr. Survey for long. Do you say, so how long do you think it is before the PRC pulls the plug? on Mr. Survey? Uh, look, I, I'm, to be honest, I'm not sure if they've got um, a case, uh, to be honest, um, because um, if... If, if, I mean, cause if they bought, they, has a case or the PSC The PSC, I mean, the PSC bought into IO as a company. As, I mean, they just have to prove whether that was legal or not. I mean, if their share price, if the share price tanked to where it is now, I mean, they lost just like any other yeah. investor. So they, all they need to do is just to prove that, you know, this this subscription of shares was uh, was flawed. What, what, what do you think, man? I'm not going to correct you this time because you are right. <laughs> no, this right. is the problem. This is the problem is that PRC did not do proper due diligence on this beforehand. They put money in at 43 rand a share, and now afterwards they come and say, well, it wasn't worth it. Well, I'm sorry, that's the way the market works. If you don't exactly. do your work up front, You've lost it. I think the people who made that decision should be held accountable and not retrospectively go after, after Iqbal Survey at this point. The, the detail we don't know and, and that we, we really should get is whether the loan to buy independent newspapers was converted into equity in IO. If that's the case, then the PS is gone. They've got absolutely no case to answer. But if, if, if independent newspapers, which is our competitors here, by the way, if, if they have not been able to service a loan, then the PIC is within its rights to, to liquidate such an investment. Uh, but if they purchase, they, they must prove then they were lied to, they were misled. Mm. Uh, they, they must allege fraud and prove it in court and then liquidate IO. 
what are the prospects for, for the PIC as an institution to be sort of turned around and cleaned up now that it's under new leadership, though, as yet without a permanent CEO? Well, I mean, it's, it's just those mechanisms around those kind of decisions where you are making investments and you are making decisions that will influence, um, you know, the, the outcomes that your investors ultimately have. And unfortunately, there's just been this complete lack of kind of transparency and accountability around those decisions. I mean, do we even know who, who motivated for the purchase of those shares, those kind of things? So again, you know, where you have a lack of accountability, a lack of consequence, um, and you know, a failure to reward people within the institutions who actually display integrity, because we have seen a complete culture, like across institutions in South Africa, that the people who blow the whistle, the people who blow, raise concerns, the people who say, but this isn't right, are consistently dismissed, hounded out, um, you know, suffer all kinds of consequences. And as yet, I don't think that that's been corrected. She said, so moving on to another organization, which is sure. self-correcting in a pretty dramatic way, the Democratic Alliance, yeah. blowing itself up in essence. Um, yeah. What is going on there and what does this look like for the official opposition? Uh, yeah, my feeling is, I mean, the DA is an evolving party and, um, and there are some people within the, in the DA who are not... Um, you know, who are not appreciative of the change that's happening within the party. I mean, it's, it's growing and, and then you've got, um, you know, more black people as its supporters. And then if you, if you have that kind of support, the party, the structure and the, the, the values of the party would change. It won't be as liberal as, as um, for, it won't be like, you know, a liberal party that it was conceived to be um, because of the evolution that's happening within the party. So it's, you know, it's sad to see, I mean, for our democracy that a strong opposition is, seems to be imploding. One of, the, one of the things which Business Day has highlighted is the role of the, um, the Institute of Race Relations. Yeah. Um, I mean, what do we think about uh, whether it is playing in a, an appropriate sort of role? Um, Politically, as it were, have you? It's aligned. It's aligned. IR with the ideal, the ide you know, the, the idealists within the, yeah. you know, the liberal classic ide ide idealists in the in the DA, like Helen Ziller specifically, um, and I think that represents a certain faction within the DA. They they're very different to the pragmatists, um, and that's the actual real tension within the DA. So I mean, they, they sponsored Helen Ziller's Tea with Helen program, if I'm mm. correct, you know, which is going out on YouTube, and they've also come out and said that. Um, Alan Windy, um, you know, the white man from Cape Town, quote unquote, will be the savior of the DA. And I mean, I just look at the wording like white man from Cape Town. I mean, how do you think that projects to... As I understood it, Karen, that was, that was an interesting one because that was a researcher and the organization itself, the IRR. But they still sort of put disowned it, yeah. it. And it is an interesting issue. Does anyone ever sort of speak in their personal capacity? I know as, as at Business Day, we used to have a policy where nobody was, was in there. was put under an IRR People banner. were representing their organizations if they wrote under the name of those mm. organizations. Mm. It was under an, an IRR banner. And that so, was the problem. I think that, you know, just... I mean, I think it's fascinating because the DA in many ways as the opposition replicates the exact kind of deep factionalism that is busy destroying the ANC. It's just a different version of it where you have two 
very different ideological approaches to each organization, basically playing themselves out in a way that is immensely distrustful of each other and immensely distrustful to the parties. And, you know, it's very unfortunate that, you know, it's, it seems to be that that tension is unresolvable because both elements within both organizations I, regard themselves as right. I wish to, to put it this way. Correct, more than right. When, when, when Helen Zille went to find Lindy Wemazibuko and later things didn't work out, same thing happened with Musi Maimane and with Patricia Dilil. At some point, the leader has to let go and let go. Mm. If you agree to take the position because you believe you can do the job, then you do it. Musi Maimane didn't. He kept sitting there thinking, uh, uh, Helen Zille, and Helen Zille kept holding on to the reins. Uh, the, the DA, you, you, you're talking about a, a change. There's no change that has happened. It's, it, it, it's the liberals holding on to everything and Musi Maimane not pushing his way through. Here's the strategy. No party is ever going to get rid of their leader before an election. Musi Maimane should have used that opportunity and made specific pronouncements that shifted the party towards the black people. Now, he managed to, uh, I could use another word, but he managed to alienate the, the, the old, the traditional uh, constituency of the DA by, by, by pandering to BEE, but managed to, 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 to alienate again the black people he wants to vote and, and join the party by actually refusing to take a, a, a distinct position and say, this is where we stand with BEE. He's failed to do that. Whoever now comes after him, they have to make a decision and decide where they, where they are. Are they a liberal party or are they a party of South Africans taking more from the ANC, which is shedding uh, numbers? Mm. If not, a whole lot of us are going to the Freedom Front Plus. Us. Are you Not going us. to the Freedom <laughs> Front Plus? <laughs> but the notion that, I mean, essentially it is a regression. If Helen Zeller takes back the leadership of the party, that's a regression. I think it highlights the fact that they haven't found good enough people to take the leadership positions. And I mean, that's the problem with the DA, is that they, they are out of ideas. So Helen Zeller to come back is a regression. But no one will be good enough if Helen Zeller is still there. We're going to give you the last word then, Sikonati. That's all we have time for this week. Please join us again next week for another edition of Editing Aloud.